0: Paracast
1: with your hosts, Gene and David Piendi. Today we're going to be speaking with Alexandra Holzer, who is apparently a fascinating lady who has a really interesting father. And so let's start this, Alexandra, by, by asking you about your father and how he got involved with the field of the paranormal. And then we'll kind of work that into how you got pulled into his world.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, he was always fascinated with things that were not considered normal, and what I mean by that is when he was at the age of five in Austria in kindergarten, he used to tell ghost stories. So you know, I mean, it, it was from a very uh, early age where he always had a fascination with the unknown. But he was also an intellect, uh, intellectual, I should say. I'm losing my voice. I apologize. And so he always wanted to know what caused. People questioning dreams and sightings and so forth. And as he was growing up, he started to be um, interested in the field of science, hence parapsychology. And so he kind of followed Joseph Bank Lyons, who was the father of parapsychology, and an Englishman by the name of uh, Carrington, who followed suit as well. He became father paranormal, but he did it with respect to the field of science. So they call born, him,
3: by the way, Alexander, the original yeah. ghost hunter, Hansel. He,
2: he is the original ghost hunter. He, he sure. coined that phrase, which is like so mainstream today because of cable. But, you know, his first book was called The Ghost Hunter. That was his title. He created that. And he didn't mean for the term to evolve into hunting down ghosts, which it kind of seems to be. It was a term meaning that you're on the case. You're working. You are an investigator and you're seeking out. What the dead need from you and what you can do for them, and in the interim is the living telling you the stories, and you're documenting everything. Which is why when there's a case, it takes a long time sometimes to solve it, if you do. So it's it's he, it's the original ghost hunter. That was his phrase back in the late '50s. His uh, first book came out, um, and it was entitled the you know the ghost hunter. So I mean that's where it came from. But he didn't have any intention for it to become this you know fanatic hunting. Uh, basis for people going out seeking thrills and so forth not to say everybody does it's just that uh, our youth is growing up with that model today and that's kind of where i come in to try to pull back a bit and say no no no
3: how did you get sucked into this
2: um, I got sucked into a portal like every other non-living, because I don't know if I'm alive or dead. It's kind of confusing. But, you know, it's I had an awakening. You know, I got married. We have four children. I did the typical white picket fence, except my fence was oak. Thank you very much. And, you know, I basically, two years ago, my late aunt, who had passed two years prior to that moment, came to me. I started hearing her and having dreams, and I had closed myself off. this I grew up with the paranormal I had apparitions around me I had things sitting on me I've had a bazillion ghost stories that kind of came in and out of my mind because I always pushed it away it wasn't scary to me it was almost like annoying but I always had that that ability to to see things before they happen get the impression that people weren't good and I don't want to be around certain characters and it's like you have that sixth sense that's awakened all the time so I kind of went away from it, and I went to art school, and I was very creative, and so I needed to get into that world, acting, art, writing. But of course, she came after her passing and woke me up and said, you need to do these things again. And so that's when it started. So it's been four years of developing what I'm supposed to be doing aside from raising four children.
1: Let's talk a little bit about those early experiences you had, Alexandra. You talked about seeing apparitions you talked about physical interactions this was happening in your home your dad was at home you know did he try to capture some of these things in any way that you can capture them you know with photographic technology or sound technology how are these manifestations
2: happening it's different it's not like we had a haunted apartment That, you know, that's like when you have a case of somebody saying things are happening and you go and you Mm -hmm. investigate. This was our home. And saying that, it means that it was it's different. We were very well protected. There were always guides around because of what he did for a living. He was chosen to do this. They knew that he was going to need extra protection. And when I say they, I mean people that are related to my father that had passed and those that came forth to go and make sure he's doing his duty. And they could be... A bazillion different people, I have no clue, but there are people I believe assigned to us from the moment of birth that are following our life path and we just don't always hear them and sometimes we need to turn around and be quiet to seek their help when we're having a bad time in life. So he was always very well protected and very well guided and he was very open and he surrounded himself with those types of characters and a lot of them were actors and actresses and writers. It wasn't just mediums and astrologers and witches and warlocks. They were all just great open people. We were always very protected. But he, of course, attracted them, and we were a very sensitive family. My mother's also has abilities, and her mother, and her mother's uh, sister. So it's it's all in the family, and there's no Archie Bunker here, but it's certainly all in the family. They came in and out of the apartment when my father would come back from a case or he was getting ready for one. You know, they were always circling him. Maybe the family members that he was going to go and help, those that had passed, were following him. Yes, go please help so-and-so. They can do that. They're free spirits. They can do that, but they're always around you. That's more of the activity than anything. We were never really haunted. I personally felt at times there were things in my room that didn't feel comfortable for me. But as a child growing up, who was I to defer what was comfortable or not? I didn't understand. You know, But I never felt that I was in any harm's way.
1: Well, see, that's the thing. When you say you were feeling comfortable, that almost implies that you felt that there were malevolent entities of some sort around you. Well, it's not
2: a comfortable feeling to have your room turn ice cold for no reason in the middle of the summertime. And, you know, somebody knocking on your door when nobody's there to knock, when you know who's home and who's not home, and it could not possibly have been in that time frame anybody physically standing at your door. So things like that, I felt, were poltergeists that were playing little tricks, you know, because, you know, you have to understand he surrounded himself with so many cases. It was insane. And I, I do believe that a lot of times you can bring things back with you. And also he was a collector of artifacts. Now, when you're going and you're buying something that has traveled its way from country to country and then been in God knows whose possession, those things do come attached with those that had ownership and if they weren't good people in their life, do you know what I'm saying? It just kind of like carries on over to the person that owns it. So I do believe not just in people bringing things around, but objects as well that are collected, that are brought into somebody's home. So we had, I mean, it was like a museum growing up in that apartment. So I don't think we could have won. I think we always would have had things coming in and out.
1: One of the things that is a recurring theme on the show when we talk to people who have these kinds of situations there is a sense that by increasing one's interest and time devoted to looking into these things, it's almost as if you're inviting in things to come and interact with you. And and it's almost as if that creates an opportunity. So what you're saying is that your father, who was doing this full-time, this was a full-time endeavor, so you're saying that that level of interaction and interest essentially created on the other side... A sense of reciprocation that they actually sort of were drawn to him, and by definition, by you. That's what you're saying, right? Right. Okay.
2: Yeah, it's um, you know he just he was chosen, and the path was laid out for him to follow. And because he was so intelligent, and because he really understood and you know got what he was supposed to do, it was almost as if there was an invisible shield around him. And, you know, my sister and I growing up in that environment, it just kind of followed suit with everything. I mean, we really were never in any harm or danger. And when I think about how I grew up going to the nightclubs and partying out in Manhattan, you know, in the village and getting on the subway at 3 a.m., so many terrible things could have happened to me. You know, I just, you, you just think back on that, on those times and it, it was, you know, I wonder if I was just very well guarded. Hmm. You know, I have a purpose in my life, and nothing can happen to me until I serve that purpose.
3: Well, you know, it's also another interesting thing when you raise that. I grew up in New York City, on the streets Mm -hmm. of New York, as they say. And in those days, and we're talking about a couple of years ago, or more than a couple of years ago, it was safe to be out there. It really was. It was safe to go on the subways by yourself. Today, you need an armed guard. Well, yeah, actually- you know,
2: it's, it's, well, you know, of course with anything in life, things change, but it's not the same. That's, I mean, that's why we would never raise our family in the city. I love the city. It's great for culture and it's great to, to, you know, go on an investigation and shoot things for that. It's, it's beautiful, but at the same time, it's just not the way it used to be. And the neighborhoods have changed. And if you go to Brooklyn or the Bronx, you know, there are families that have been there for such a long time, they used to leave their doors open. You know, um, you just can't do that. Now, my father was a hypochondriac, so it didn't matter. He always locked that door and always checked like a hundred times. So, yeah, and that was a doorman building, I may add. Yeah, so a little
0: paranoid.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, how did that color then, if if he was that way, Alexandra, how did that color his investigations? Uh, Did that bleed in? I mean, if you're saying that he had a sense of, it sounds like a little bit of paranoia, Oh yeah. Was that does that something he had going into this, or did doing investigative work in this field create that sense of paranoia or contribute right. to it? Right.
2: No, no, no. That's his personality. He he's just by nature that way. When he went in to an investigation, he was Dr. Hauntholder, scientist, you know, investigator, asking all the questions, getting all the documentation, putting everybody where they should be, having the medium in tow, having what they had for equipment back then, and getting everything set up. Um, he ran the show, and there was no paranoia there, anything. He went into places that were just crazy, and he, he was never in fear. Nothing ever scared him. He went up against some pretty nasty ghosts that had some, some big attitude problems, and frankly, I don't know where they get that from. They're see-through. They have no heads. They're missing an arm and a leg. They, they've got some nerve. But anyway, they challenged <laughs> my father. They've challenged the medium. He didn't care. He was a Ghostbuster for all intents and purposes. He was just like Indiana Jones of ghosts, and he kicked down those doors and he went through those castles and walked through the woods. And he said, "Come out! What do you need? You know what? What can I do to help you?"
3: But he wasn't he like the guys just... with the particle accelerator in yeah. that movie, Ghostbusters.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I said, "Well, that's going to be in my my team because we're I have a two women that." Um, we collectively are, we're intuitive, but we have such strong backstories, and, and we're New Yorkers, and, you know, I said, can I get a, there was a the pro, pro, I can't even say that the, the pro thingy majiggy backpack thing, that you know, whatever. Listen, I'm a little ADD, but that's what happens Too many ghosts around me, but, you know, just the whole thing, that was him, and it was really funny when that movie came out. Of course, he didn't like it, but, you know, what else is new, so...
1: He didn't get a he didn't get any kind of a consultant's fee for that film.
2: Is what uh, you're not he just completely was just like you know that that's not how they do it that's not how yeah. it works. There are no green slimy things. I like said relax.
3: And you don't have these creatures saying zool.
2: Zool. Yeah. <laughs> Before Funny, we get but, taken
3: to the zool.
2: Yeah, well you know uh, those buildings yeah. in Manhattan are so old, some of them, and they're so <laughs> beautiful. I certainly could believe that there could be you know gargoyles up on top and. I believe it, you know. But, um, yeah, so he always had his opinion. He had his opinion on the, on the film Ghost. He said that it wasn't terrible until, of course, the um, demons came out, which appeared like shadow people, to pull away the soul. And he goes, that's a little too Hollywood for me, he said. But the premise is okay. Yes, yes, yes. They come back and talk to you and until their business at hand is finished. <laughs>
3: Hi, this is Bill Burns from UFO Magazine and UFO Hunters. You know, there are several ways that you can get UFO, UFO magazine. magazine.
4: yeah, we know, Bill. We
1: know, we know, we know. Just shut up. Just give us one way. Don't tell us you're psychic and, you know, give 8,000 phone numbers and take 15 minutes of our time where we just want to hear the show. Just tell us how we can get UFO Magazine in one way.
2: Okay, okay. Just go to www.ufomag.com, subscribe online. You happy? Was that so hard? Actually, harder than you know.
0: We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at
2: theparacast.com.
3: We're talking to Alexandra Holzer, and the subject is ghosts and ghost hunting. She's the daughter of the original ghost hunter himself, Hans Holzer. Now, what was his thought about the TV show called Ghost Hunters? Does he think that maybe he should get a commission or something?
2: <laughs> no, that's not how it works. Yes, um, it's
3: Hollywood. You know that.
2: Yeah. Um. Basically, he, you know, he has his opinions on it. Like with everything else, you know, whether people agree or not agree, that's the one thing is he's always been, you know, politically correct in this field. He's never said, oh, no, 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 I changed my mind. You know, he's he believes what he believes, and he's done the research. But when it comes to the TV shows in general. He does, he's not bothered with it because he knows you can't possibly get all the answers when you're filming and editing, and you're not really going to help those people, especially if you're not using intuitive. That's just his take on it. You know he's not wrong because I'm doing the same thing, and, and I'm doing it in the reverse. I'm, listen, I know these guys. I work with them at conferences. We share the same manager. Everybody knows everybody in the field. So you have to be really careful. You have to respect people and be happy for their successes, but you also have to stick to what you believe in and that's where I come from. That's what makes me a holder. I really don't care if I offend people or not. I try not to, but I know what my visions are. I feel what I feel and I don't go against that. That's something I was born with. it's innate. And that's not to be argued, you know to be accepted, understood, or then just leave it at the fence. You know um, there's a lot of things missing and we're not quite there yet and it's great to have cable. Whereas back in his day, you know, he, he wanted a show, but they didn't have cable. So instead they had him appear on all these other talk shows he did in search of. You know, he was on channels 2, 4, 5, 7, 9, and 11. That's what he was flooding the airwaves with that. And he did a lot of radio like me, constant, constant radio. So um, he just feels that today because we're so, you know, with, with media and cable that a lot of things get flooded. And when there's a great idea, it kind of gets muddled a bit. And so we do lose sight of what's really important with the point of why you go on an investigation, whether it's a person, a place, or a location itself like woods or ground. You know, you really have to be serious, and you should use as many tools as available to you and know which ones are the best for you, and the ones that yield the most proper information, and just be honest.
1: Alexandra, early on when he was doing investigative work, what kinds of tools and technologies were, were was he using? What, what was available at that time?
2: Uh, well, tape recorder. And they actually, this was the early forms of EVPs, which have been around. You know, he, you could tape them back then, and they did. The, he used to have recordings. They went into the cemeteries, but back then, there was a reason to do that. Nowadays, it's like a cliche, ooh, cemetery. I mean, I even have a photo with me in a cemetery, you know. I mean, but my whole photo is look at these poor people that think some people are still here it's a waste of you know real estate you know I mean it's not where the soul goes but but by having said that you can be stuck there too if you're a ghost you've died horribly and here's your plot you can certainly visit it you know because it's in the area of where you died you know it can happen so I mean there are things all around the entire globe is haunted I mean I wish people would just understand that first and foremost and that's actually normal but anyway um he had his paper corner he had his medium he had his microphones, and those were his tools. And he had eyewitness accounts. He had his, his intellect and his whereabouts, and he knew how to go about getting information. He dealt with mayors of towns. You know, he dealt with curators, all sorts of types of people to get access to things that nobody else could.
1: Uh, you say he, he had a doctorate. I'm curious, what kind of doctorate degree did he have?
2: Parapsychology.
1: Where did he get that from?
2: Um, he studied at the, uh, the London School of Applied Science so that's where he got that from and then he became a teacher and he taught parapsychology Really? yeah
1: I'm, I'm assuming that this is not something that is offered for example in any American schools is it
2: you can, you can actually it's funny because in Sweden there is a parapsychology conference going on in October it's, it's still it's more in Europe than America put it to you that way to answer your question Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a conference called It's Charging the Future of Parapsychology, and it's called Utrecht Two, which is uh, being It's first being held in Holland, and it starts in October, and it's all the doctors of the Parapsychology Foundation with all their PhDs. If my father was younger, he'd be going to one of these. So it is still going on. It's just not in America as much. It's more European, and my father is from Vienna, so. It just the approach in Europe versus America with science has always been very different.
1: What do you attribute that to? i mean it 's interesting that uh, there are there 's an actual doctorate program in that in Europe, and I think here in the States, even though there's such a large degree of our population who is certainly um could be categorized as having supernatural belief systems i mean anybody who's in to the classic religions, essentially, uh, is dabbling in the supernatural, even though, you know, they would say that, well, you know, no, no, we're not. And I, I don't right. know, I look at the taking of communion, and I think, well, that's pretty weird. Right. You know, here, it's, and I have to say, as a Jew, and this is like, here's, here's a weird story, as a Jewish person, I have a friend who asked me to be the godfather to her, to her grandson, mm-hmm. and I went to the church, and, I, and they were taking communion. And something in me, something in my brain said, don't do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, but I did, and I got incredibly sick. For two weeks, I had a deathly flu. I was running a like 104 fever. Huh. And I, ne- I could never figure out what that <laughs> was. I mean, it was really strange. But but in a way, I look at that whole thing, and I think, well, you know, that's, that's fairly supernatural. But yet, in the same country where people will go to church every Sunday, uh, you know, don't try to say, oh, there's a school that's going to offer a degree program in parapsychology. I think people will be laughed out of the building. Right. It's interesting. I mean,
4: what do you think it's, that's, you know,
2: that's it's about? It's not relative. It's, you know, I don't really believe in this whole thing with religion. And, and, you know, you believe in what you believe in. And you could grow up one way and then change down the road. I mean, there is mm-hmm. no rule. If you're growing up in a family and you have to be a staunch Catholic and you have to learn all of it, And then you grow up, you get you know older, and you realize, I'm not really comfortable with what it stands for. I don't want to. That's your choice. That's freedom of will. I mean, you don't have to. See, religion is very tricky, and I don't think religion and the supernatural should be, or paranormal, rather, should be mixed. Because the the paranormal is nature. The supernatural is actually natural. It's nature. It's what happens in life. It's evolution. We live and we die. You know, and it's more of a natural process versus religion, where it's it's written and it's taught and it's it's force fed and it's how you grow up versus who you know and how do you want to lead your life and churches and and corruption and all sorts of things. I think in the supernatural, which is quite natural, it's just you, you don't really have a say in it. It is what it is. It's just discovering things about it and understanding what's happening, you know, every year that we get closer and closer to modern technology, but we're still not as close as we were maybe 50 years ago or 100. It's a process of life, and until you pass and come back and tell me what it's like, you know, and people have, and there's books on that, there's documentation, testimonials. So, I mean, I think we need to look towards that for answers and and not look towards, you know, mixing it with religion and, and what God says versus what your God says and my God. You know, it's just it's well. too much.
1: Right. I think it's important to delineate between the two, but also understand that it's probably accurate and fair to say that both uh, interest in the paranormal and religion are, are fulfilling in the human mind the same sort of a need. You know, trying to understand the nature of the universe and our place inside of that universe. Correct. Uh, you can. And I have huge problems with organized religion, but at this point, Alexandra, I look at a lot of the paranormal world and what i personally see are a lot of the remnants or sort of the 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 aspects i should say of religious belief systems i mean the the, the paracast mostly deals not not exclusively but mostly deals with the the topic of ufo's and right. when right. you look at that world there are real hardcore factions that almost start to look like religious factions people have their belief they believe in a certain aspect of the phenomenon and they'll defend that belief regardless of what any, anyone says in terms of presenting them with hard facts, hard data. No, I don't want to know. This is what it is. And, and sometimes I think we see the same kind of a thing. If you're talking about, for example, the world of ghost investigations,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, it seems like there are certain people who stake out a certain place and say, this is how we're going to go about doing this. You know, We're right. going to use certain kinds of technology, for example. One of the things that we had on this fellow John Zaffis on the yeah, show. I John. I'm, yeah,
2: he's a good friend
1: of mine. Well, the, the thing about John, he was a decent guest, but at the same time, when we asked him about certain aspects of technology used, he, he just wasn't interested. I mean, it, we asked him about voice recorders and mm-hmm. gathering EVPs. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I had noticed was that on, on the Ghost Hunter show, the voice recorders they use are these really cheap, really low low fidelity, like dictation recorders. Right. And we asked zaphi well you know if if that's what 's being used, wouldn't it make more sense to use high quality recorders and right. he's like well I, I don't really bother myself with that and then which I, I thought was was just stunning, like well, you're not interested in that technology, and then when we try to ask him about standardization of techniques, well at that point he's like, well you know that there is there the, he seemed to indicate there was no interest in pursuing any kind of standardization and and I think the problem there is that if you Want to take a scientific approach, Mm -hmm. then having peer-reviewed material, having peer-accepted standards, is essential. So, how do you how do you deal with that kind of situation in doing investigation work in this realm?
2: Well, it's it's for me, it's really quite simple. I mean, it's no big deal. You know, you do what you do. I do what I do. You know, and it's funny because John and I were talking about working together, and you know, because. He does what he does, I do what I do, but when you combine the two, and the two that come from families that have worked in the field, which is very, very unique, I have to tell you, especially today when you've got a bazillion groups popping up out of Westfield, and everybody's yeah. a group society or organization in the paranormal, but where are the people that came from somewhere that have a genuine backstory and validation and seriousness with a sense of humor in doing the work to help people and its surrounding environment. Well, John and I are those people, very old school. Now, listen, I'm only 37, but I am extremely old school, and I didn't realize that until I came into this. I I had no clue which way I would feel. But after meeting these people and doing conferences and getting all these emails and and doing research and just knowing what works for me, you know, I feel like everybody has to do what's right for them if they're doing it for the right reasons and they're good people. Go ahead. If you're not interested in equipment and that kind of stuff, that's fine. You can always investigate by ways that are successful for you as long as you're doing the right thing. I don't think we should cast judgment on how certain people do things unless you know obviously it's not the right way or you just know that they're not good people. Don't, you don't fraternize with them. And there's a lot of people out there like that because with cable it's now popular. Like with anything in society it gets popularized and then it gets, you know, we lose sight of what is exactly the field itself. Do you even understand that you're supposed to be helping people first and foremost? you know and and that's the main goal it's almost like you know being a bit of a spiritualist and and having a peacefulness of trying to, that's what you want to accomplish and it's not always crossing people over it's, it's some don't want to leave and you should let them be if they want to stay in that home because that was their home and they're they're happy let them be you know but just talk to them they do still want a good conversation maybe a cup of coffee or a donut you know that's our job so it's really a mixed bag of tricks and you know, I think if you have people like John and people like me and you combine your efforts and you do it friendly with a sense of humor, I think you'll yield better results, which is pretty much a full-rounded way of getting great information and helping people at the same time. So I, I don't take it personally. I think, listen, there are people who look at me and say, well, what is she doing? Or, and that's fine. You can't please everybody.
1: So yeah. you don't think there's any value to any kind of a standardization of an approach to seeking answers in this? Seriously.
2: Well, I, you know, but that's, it's not for me to say. You know, if, if that's, that's his personal feeling on it, and he doesn't want to, you know, that's okay. That's, at, at the moment, he probably felt that that's why, you know, that's how he wanted to answer. You know, I mean, personally for me, I can only speak for myself. And I wouldn't even speak for my father other than what I know his beliefs are. Mm-hmm. And his beliefs are the gadgets are horrible. He thinks that a lot of them are too sensitive that two miles away you could be picking up stuff. And you have no way of validating it at 2 o'clock in the morning when you're on a case. No way.
1: Well, well certainly, I, I know that watching ghost hunters, whenever they break out the EMF meter, I know very often my own response to that is, well, what are they doing? Are they operating this inside of a Faraday cage?
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: mean, you know, there's so much electronic noise happening and magnetic noise happening. Yeah, that, it's, it's uh, all,
2: I mean, it's constantly around us, And unless you scout out the location for every place that you're going to go to, It's impossible to really, really know if you're picking up energy from the entity or it's the surrounding area. So, again, my father who did this and got the same results believes in your tool should be yourself and an intuitive that can speak to the other side to get the information of what the problem is, why they're there, why they're bothering the people, why they're in the prison and they won't leave, what is it that they need. You know, so so on and so forth. And that's really your best tool. And then, of course, with modern technology, the ones that, like, digital recorders are great, you don't have to ixnay everything and poo-poo everything because the days have changed. But you certainly can pick out better equipment and not have to use everything because it's popular. doesn't mean it's the best way to go about getting the correct information. Mm. You know, you have to have respect to the field. There's no respect by doing it that way. If you go... And, you know, K K2 meter is is popularized by somebody who's who's branding it because he's a known medium. Does that mean that's really the best tool for you, or is it because it's popular? You have to know your stuff. You have to make that conscious decision whether or not you're going to use certain things because you believe, and you're getting good results from it, not what other people tell you.
1: Well, one of the things we always talk about in the show is the difference between belief and understanding. I mean, part of the problem, Alexander, you can believe anything. Right. And at that point, you know... uh, if there is no kind of, and when I say standards, I don't mean like there'd be a standard procedure that everybody uses to get to a certain result. Certainly in science, that's not the case. People take shortcuts, people break rules all the time. But at the same time, I mean, here's an example. If, if you're an audio engineer and you're working on stuff, no, no matter how what kind of bizarre sonic generation tools you're creating, if you wanna see what the real output of that tool is, you use an oscilloscope. That, that is an accepted standard. Mm-hmm. Just in, in terms of, hey, you know what? There are waveforms. The only way to view those waveforms is with a vectorscope, an oscilloscope slash vectorscope. the only real way to, to do this stuff. Otherwise, basically, you're, you're, you're kind of whistling in the dark. And I think part of the problem in trying to take this topic, for example, and make people who normally would not be interested in this take it in any way seriously, I think when you, for example, it's interesting you bring up intuitives. I've mentioned on the show before an episode that happened with my mother after she died. I've also talked about the fact that my mother was was a very powerful psychic. Um, I think she considered herself an intuitive. She was really a psychic and it was a little scary at times. Um, but when, she would not tell people this. She would not meet people and say, oh yeah, I have psychic abilities. Um, she would never, pretty much never do this. Because she knew that for the most part, the response from a typical average person would be, huh, you know, where's your tarot deck or card deck? And and she didn't want to engage people at that level. She felt that that was not productive. And so wh- when you're talking about expanding this topic to a wider audience, mm-hmm. I think the minute you use the word intuitive, there are a lot of people who might be open to talking about ghosts who would hear that and go, well, oh, wait a minute, that that's a problem. I mean, I, I'm sure you've run into that, right?
2: Well, I mean, a lot of, a lot of questions I do get is, well, what's the difference, or what are you, or, you know, and it's, it's, that's the problem of, with, you know, the field changing is all these different terms come out and then people are confused. But a lot of these terms have been around for a long time. An example is the word sensitive. My father used the word sensitive in a book 30 years ago. And yet, in the past two years, people are not mediums. They're sensitive. Hey, I'm I mean, sensitive
3: so to something sensitive. right now. You know, no, I'm sensitive so too. Stupid, you know, I'm and sensitive. So they're
2: using that now as the new medium. And it, to me, it's like, why? you know I mean it, it's just really stupid you know everything gets labeled and that's fine again know your stuff know your information learn the definitions and then see which one is for you and the one you're comfortable in using and that's what you have to stick with and don't waver because somebody else says, oh no no that's what this is a better way of describing." it then, well I need to know what's better for me and in my case it's intuitive because I can read people things come through I can't possibly explain I choose not to I don't wanna become a medium. I don't wanna work on it. I'm too busy in my life with my children and my projects and my past that I, I can't sit here and, and give that energy. I don't have it. But what I do have is when it's quiet and somebody needs me and something comes through, it's my obligation to give them back that information. And I feel that's my fulfillment so far in that realm. But I do work with people who are psychic psychic mediums so you know, I mean and those are the ones that actually read people for a living. They do it seriously, they hone in on their energy, they say prayers and blessings, they're very peaceful, and um, they do it properly. You know, so I, I know where I stand, and I know the difference, and I certainly don't go around saying that word. I think it's dangerous to do that, and I think you need to back it up if you do.
3: Okay, neighbors, did you know that food will make your future fearless? You know, we're going to have runaway inflation with all of these bailouts, and if you don't understand why, you better check it out, or your life may depend on it. Before runaway inflation occurs, smart people are converting their paper money into gold, and now gold into food. We've seen runaway inflation in other countries. The only way to survive is to buy things and stuff that we'll need later while the money and gold still have value. When a truckload of cash or several pounds of gold won't buy a loaf of bread, the only answer is to already have your own bread. Folks don't realize that with the worldwide famine and food shortages, food is about to become so precious that it will actually establish the value of gold until there is no food left at any price. Food will make your future fearless. Call 800-715-4380. Or go on the web to eFoodsDirect.com. Call 800-715-4380 or eFoodsDirect.com. Hey neighbors, the easiest online meeting service, GoToMeeting, just got easier. If you haven't tried GoToMeeting, now's the time. Because the new version of GoToMeeting has fully integrated voice over IP. With this new total audio feature, you have more audio options by being able to conference through a phone or the web. Save time, save money, and be more efficient. Hold an online meeting with GoToMeeting. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts. That's GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial.
0: You're in
3: the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vianney. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Alexandra Halser on the Paracast, and we're talking about ghost hunting. And I have, as usual, a left-field question. It's very simple. With these spirits, we assume these are dead people who haven't passed over One reason or another. But what about deception? What about evil beings who are pretending to be the spirits of dead relatives, friends, or whatever? What is your position about that? The
2: the ones that are
3: evil versus the ones that are just
1: relatives? Yeah. Or just Um, some third party. Who knows? In other words, can you trust what you're told from the other side? If someone appears and says, I am Um, your grandmother.
2: Right. Yeah, you can't, I mean, you know, again, when you're going into a situation, you you have to, the medium is going to get information and they're going to feel it. All is based on what is happening to them physically and emotionally. They see things. So the way a medium works, a good medium, is that they're shown images right away. And if they're horrible images that are being shown to them and not just things to show the person in the room that that's the message It's usually a bad entity showing you horrible things, which the medium is like, oh, my gosh, this is, this is horrible. This person is angry. They want these people out. They are not happy. You know, they die tragically. This person killed that person. Um, this is not a good spot right here. This is where it happened. They are shown images, and those are very, very angry ghosts and, and nasty at times because of how they passed. So, um, and they haven't really passed technically because they're stuck. A the spirit is free; they've passed over properly. But a ghost can be very nasty, and a poltergeist is is like the worst form of it. And the, the medium's going to know right away that they, they, their body is their instrument. People lose sight of the fact of our intuition, our sixth sense. We are born to have the innate ability to tap in and feel automatically. It's whether you choose to accept that or not, or be open enough to go and, and let yourself go towards that realm. But everybody has the ability. There are people that are never going to have it, and then they'll, they'll die, and that's it. And, you know, maybe they'll come back again and, and be more open. but And that's reincarnation. That's a different topic. But you, you have to be really, really open and and, you know, understanding how these things work, that people just, you know, There's a lot of deception, and when there's a very bad case, you go in knowing right away you have to be skeptical, and you have to go in knowing that you know um, when there's bad entities around, there'll be more than one, and they will lie. And they can say that they're so-and-so, but the medium's job is to decipher what's going on, and that's why they're so crucial. And that's why it's so crucial to have a really, really, really validated one that you can trust that's really doing great work.
1: So that, of course ends up being a problem I think and the reason I say that Alexandra the the Paracast has been approached by at least half a dozen self-professed mediums and psychics wanting to come on the show right and because we at this point we have pretty high visibility right. okay fine so we're contacted there was one guy out in the Midwest contacted me said I'm the real deal I do this and that's the deal I want to come on your show I'm the real deal I said okay this is good the only thing we'd like you to do is to prove to us you're the real deal because the Paracast has a reputation of being an intelligent place where healthy skepticism is encouraged. Right. We, you know, we understand that the word you know, skeptic has become a, a bad word in the realm of paranormal people. You know, it's, it's often confused and, and lumped in with debunking, which uh-huh. is a whole other issue. Yeah. But I have to tell you, this, this one guy contacted me and said, I want to come on your show. And I said to him, all right, I'd like you to do a reading for me. Show me right. what you're capable of. Prove to me you have some ability. And if you do, we will have you on the show more than a few times. Because if you really have that ability, then maybe we can use that ability to help us deepen our understanding of what's going on here. Right. And, and this guy strung me along for months. He kept changing. You know, we were supposed to have a, a, a talk on the phone. Oh, I can't do it now. Something happened. Oh my God! My best friend's wife jumped off a building. Literally, yeah. he said that to me at one point. You know, he just it just this went on for months, and uh-huh. then finally, finally, I said to him, you know, he's on the oh, I, I'm you know, going back and forth with him in emails, uh-huh. and finally, a day before he was supposed to speak to me, he bails out. He's like, Well, uh, I decided I, I don't want to be under this kind of pressure, and if I get it all wrong, then you won't believe in me, uh-huh. and you know yeah yeah if you get it all wrong you're right i definitely won't believe in you and that was it and he vanished so what is it with that why and this is he's one of about six people
2: mm-hmm. who
1: when it comes right down to it right at the end they all bail out they just bail out and
2: well I mean, there's a lot of people out there who are who have the ability. So, I mean, you would have to like go through this for a long time to, to get enough people where you'll have those those validated mediums. You know, I think that the, there are two sides to this. Is the one side where mediums, you know, it's annoying for them because they feel like they're put on the spot, prove it, prove it, and it, it's frustrating for them because it's a natural happening it's it's like if i sit here and i'm told read me now i can't do that that's not how it works it's got to come when i'm supposed to read you i thought you know if there's a message to be told it's going to come through when it's supposed to it's not when i'm saying okay tell me what the grandmother looks like again thank you Mm -hmm. there are different ranges of abilities there are mediums that are just so dead on that they just they're so open so incredibly open that they keep coming through them coming through them and those are the ones that shock you and those are the ones that can go on and cold call what you're asking for because they're just they're there it's open they're waiting for that information to come through That's no issue but other mm-hmm. mediums who are not as open and are you know are have the ability but are being put on the spot are not comfortable they have to pick a moment where they just talk to you a few times not just once and if they can get a reading going in one of those conversations because that will be the right time, then right. you'll get what you're looking for and they can do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. That's the pressure. And I think if the, if that person would have handled it in the sense of, well, let's just get to know each other and I'll talk to you. And if something comes through in one of those conversations, then that's how I can read you. Because that's really, in all honesty, the whole point.
0: Right, sure. You know,
2: those that are doing this as a business, that read people as a business, are always on. Like a salesperson, they're always on. So there's a difference of layers of who can do what, and that's really, you know, so that's that's, you know, so my guess is that person just was not able to. Either they were just looking for attention and decided you know, you've got people calling all the time. I'm sure that are cuckoo and you've got people looking for attention but just don't want to go through with it. Personally, why waste the time if you're looking to go on radio to, to do something and to tell people who you are and what you're doing? Then you need to stick with it. That's the whole sure. point. Why sure. would you Ab- that? Sure, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Well, you know, along those lines, the guy who I was most interested in for years was uh, George Anderson. Okay. I had read, I had read the "We Don't Die" book. I thought it was really fascinating. And then we ended up having Joel Martin on the show a couple of times, and he was the okay. one who basically had the radio show where George came to to fame. And Joel felt he had genuine abilities. From reading his books, honestly, I felt that way, as that way as well. So this is long before I was involved in any way with discussing this topic publicly. I really didn't for most of my life, but about, I want to say it was about 10 years ago, yeah, around 10 years ago, there was a learning annex event in San Francisco. I used to live out on the West Coast and George Anderson was going to show up and I thought, okay, you know what? I'll go check this out. I'll go see what he's about. And... I went and listened to him doing stuff, and I thought, okay, you know, at, at first I was kind of, uh, I was kind of impressed, but I don't know, I, I just had a weird feeling about it. And what ended up happening was I actually got the opportunity to stand in front of him and ask him a question. What I did is I asked, because I'd read all about all the readings he did, and I asked him a question: George, have you ever received any information from the other side pertaining to a somewhat esoteric topic? But Has anybody ever asked you to ask about, or have you ever been told anything about, the nature of the origin of UFOs? Mm -hmm. Which was definitely, I'm guessing for him, a left-field question. Right, right. right. He went ballistic. He was furious. He was really angry. It was like I flipped a switch in him. He went from being very soft and very sweet Too. I mean, there was almost like steam pouring out of his ears. He's like, that's a ridiculous question. Oh, what are you trying to do? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm asking. I'm, I'm really curious about this. If there is any sense of, of deeper wisdom on that side, maybe they can, I'm just, this is something I'm curious about. I'm not trying, I said to him, I'm not trying to make you look bad. Uh, This is a genuine question. Well, I won't answer that or anything like that. That's ridiculous. (laughs) You know, sit down. I was like, what the hell, man? You know, what? Yeah. And I'm wondering about them. I mean, why, why? Well, now, I'm not going to ask you why you th- think he re- responded that way, but right. getting this back to what you were talking about before that, you know, there's these spirits and they want to talk.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What did they say?
2: <laughs> well, I've only gotten the one through family and. And my husband's coworkers that didn't believe that were like, you know, down at my feet going, oh, my God, I believe. I said, listen, just do what your father said, please, and go. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I'm more of, of the, the genuine helper of family and friends. But, you know, when I go into an environment and I don't know who these people are on the other mm-hmm. side or who are stuck or of the living, I get impressions. And that's how I work. I get right away, not a good place. Something is not right here. I don't feel comfortable. It's almost like if you're going house hunting and you you go and you see like a dozen houses and you walk into one and you're like, it just doesn't feel right to you. You couldn't see yourself living there. It doesn't feel like home. It's not because the walls are green. Okay, if it's losing blood, yeah, I'd say run. But you know, um, it, it's not because of that. It's because you don't feel comfortable. Well, there's a reason for that, and, and that's your intuition telling you. Perhaps there's something that happened a long time ago, and if there's residual effects there, you see, <laughs> you know, the living and the dead have to live together. This is what I keep telling people, and you can't just go into a place and think you're the only one that's going to be there, or the space before you was completely clean, perfect, positive energy, woohoo. Doesn't work that way. So that's why when there's a lot of hauntings in houses and things like that, you know, uh, things that happened before. And the people that are there are dealing with the aftermath now. And that's the way it goes sometimes. But I don't handle anything like that. I Maybe one day I will. If I keep going on this path and I am meant to open up more and I am meant to really hear all different ones yakking away, okay, I'll have to deal with it then. But I get impressions. My team member, Carly Rose, who's originally from London, who is a native New Yorker by heart, she gets them talking to her left and right, and she's got what we call DVPs. She is a direct voice communicator. And so it's not only when she's in a trance, but when she's awake and she records it. So she, she's following suit with uh, a, a man named Leslie Flint, who had passed in 1994, who was doing this kind of study of direct voice phenomena very different than EVP so this is what we're working on and this is the stuff that we're learning so I get mostly impressions I don't really let them come you know come in and, and tell me their life story
1: <laughs> so when you so, say direct voice phenomena you saying an audible yes. voice that can like be recorded or heard yes. just normally?
2: yeah can, like you and I are speaking yeah I mean she's got a bazillion clips of this, and we actually just met with a producer who we scared the pants off of him because we are an option for for my show. Because as a writer and my father before me, writing for television is actually quite natural for me. And I know I know what a lot of women, because mostly women that watch these shows, seventy five percent, are looking for. And when I do these conferences, they come up to me and they're like, "We're so glad to see you here." It's mostly men. In fact, it really is just men doing this. You have one or two women here and there on the side, but they're not the ones at the forefront lecturing they're not the the ones at the forefront pioneering something and continuing on legacies and having a, a feeling of sadness because you know somebody can't cross over and have created a haunting that's horrible to me i don't find any glory in that whatsoever it saddens me this is what she does and so we met with the producer and he just was like he took the headphones off and his face was pale and he just came back from florida so that's telling you a lot so (laughs) (laughs)
3: let's laugh about this fate magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue that's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal like angels and miracles psychic phenomena ghosts ufos and much much more It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits.
4: Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedny. Hey, let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri?
3: On the Paracast, Alexandra Holzer joining us to talk about ghost hunting. Is there any other kind? I want to ask you something here, totally different. I'm at a local fast food emporium the other day, and... The guy who owns the place knows that I do the power cast with David. And he says to me, Gene, friend of ours, living in a town called Queen Creek, which is outside of Phoenix, a suburb whatever. They just moved. I said, why they move? Well, because the house is haunted okay so we have a promise here so now what do i tell this guy to tell them or ask them in terms of getting more information about what's going on
2: the first thing when i hear a story like that is wherever that person lives is to go online and look for local paranormal groups because back in my father's day you didn't have that you had hans older do you know what i'm saying the good thing is that you can actually go and find a local paranormal group call them and make sure number one they are never 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 supposed to charge any fees whatsoever this is supposed to help the people you're not supposed to charge and they need to do research on that i would go online and i would i would look for people in their town in their area and then type in paranormal groups and it'll show up a listing of a few groups i am sure of people that do this on the side because everybody works in the paranormal and you know set up a time to investigate and that's what you do and you take it from there and you have many revisits to find out what's going on and you want to also ask if any of these groups have that they use uh, the help of a medium. It's a good question to ask. And oftentimes, sometimes you just need the medium to come over because that usually will tell you what's going on versus, you know, your equipment, meaning your EMF readers. Do you know what I'm saying? So right. I, I kind of feel like I would tell them I would prefer you use a medium in the area that's validated. Unfortunately, a lot of them do charge. But if money's an issue and um, it's something you don't feel comfortable with, you go and you do a local group. And you, it's a process. You, you start to work it out. You start to see who, who's really going to help and who's not. You well, usually the support groups, too. So,
1: But like anything else, Alexandra, you run to the typical consumer problem of, okay, I'm going to go find a local group, but how do I know, or I'm going to go look at local mediums, right? Uh-huh. So how do I know who's actually capable and who isn't? How do I differentiate? There's no consumer reports of this stuff.
2: Well, there, yeah, well, maybe one day there will be. And, and in that case, what they should do is they should list every single group that calls themselves a group. And mm-hmm. then you put on a consumer report who everybody is and what state and town. And then people get to go online and rate them so that the consumer can go and say, well, sure. these people have done great work. So maybe they should do that. But a lot of it right now is word of mouth. And who you know. You can buy books, like one of my father's books, you know, uh, has listings of mediums, the like psychic yellow pages he wrote. Or you can go and find mediums, and all around the world. But you know, you really need to get to know your area. There's always a support group in every town, usually, or town in that area, that you start from. And you have to use your own intuition. And you know, buyer beware. But most investigative groups, they're not going to charge you, so you have nothing to lose. You know, I mean, they're going to come in and they're going to go and they're going to go around the house and they're going to see what they find. You're not paying for that. They're doing it out of the kindness of their hearts because they generally are investigators and they care and they want answers and they want to help you. Anybody that charges you and that the group is not a group you're going to have at your house, period.
0: Right, right.
2: Mediums do because it's a different form of energy that's being expended, and your body is being used to give you information. It's a very personal thing. It's not being a paranormal investigator. They're very different. So, yeah, you know, a lot of them do do that, not just because of their time energy-wise, but physically they could be hurt depending on the situation. They could be up against a lot of things. They could, You know, it's, it's very dangerous. It's not a joke. It's actually very, very dangerous. You don't know what you're getting yourself into, so the environment can be very hostile. You know, well, um, a lot of them yeah. do, but I think if they find and they have conversations with these people, they can weed out the ones they're not comfortable with.
1: Yeah, no, and looking to the George Anderson situation, you know, it gets to a point where, in, like in the case of George Anderson, I guess he was very accessible at one point, and now the man is charging $1,200 an hour. Wow. Which, yeah. Now, you know, some people would say, well, gee, that's an indication he's got real capabilities. Mm-hmm. Either that or it's an indication that he's gone a little off the deep end. I mean, in the United States, yeah, it, okay, sure, you know, you want to make money for your time. That's great. Right. But when you're at, at that point where you're charging that kind of money,
2: yeah.
1: you know, or, or I could throw, of course, into this mix the name that we don't like to say on this show, Sylvia Brown. Oh, uh, yeah. You, yep. you know, I mean, at this point, it's pretty clear what she's about. But, yeah, you look at her and she has this huge degree of commercial success. So, what do you attribute something like that to? Let me let me put it this way: a lot more people know who she is versus people who know who your father is. Oh, they um, do
2: because she's on TV. Because she's, yeah. you know, he's older than her number one. In all fairness, he's ailing now. He's eighty-eight and not well. But you know, he's very old. A lot of people don't understand these people that are known that should not be known as my father. Well, my father's older than all of them.
0: He's mm-hmm. eighty-eight.
2: They're all under him. So that's the first thing. The second thing is. You know, when you've got TV and TV shows and you're out and about and you're you're on them, you know, and you're well to do it, that's what keeps you out there. That's just, that's society. If we don't see it, we, you know, we have to see it. We can't read about it. It has to be put in our face because we lack the attention and the focus nowadays. It's got to be the microwave error, you know. So, you know, and she got into something with Montel a long time ago, and, and yeah. that was her gig. That was her thing, and that's yeah, no. the longevity.
1: It just astounds us and saddens us that, you know, these people rise to prominence and to visibility. And really, kind of like what happens in the realm of UFO study, these people get to that point and what they end up doing is essentially poisoning the pool for everyone.
2: And that's why, you know, people don't even like to call themselves mediums today because you don't know if if you always think of fake and then all that, you know, comes into play. It's great to have the media and the networks and things, but at the same time, you actually have to know your research and your past, and I feel like if you go back and you know who was who in that field, and then you see who's out there now, you should be able to make a very good conclusion as to who you want to listen to, who you want to pay for a reading, and who you feel you could trust. Again, you are your best judge of character. You are the one that knows what is right and wrong. You just have to trust yourself and you have to have that information in front of you. Know who was there before, know who's there now and see put it together and see who you feel you could trust. Look at the mediums in the past. My father worked with uh Anthony Miles Johnson, Civil League. They were incredible. There was never a bad thing said about them ever. You know, and there's a reason for that. People trusted them because they weren't looking for anything other than helping people and writing about it and, and sharing their life stories with people so they could understand better about mediumship which is a very old phrase. So, I mean, it's kind of just going back to your basics and learning about your past and not saying, okay, well, this person's on TV, and so they're famous, so that means they're great.
1: No, well, certainly we don't buy I can speak for Gene and myself, and we don't buy into the whole idea that if you see it on TV, it's validated. Actually, for me, it's usually the exact opposite. If I see it being promoted on TV, I don't trust it. I mean, because. or
2: at least know about the person who's being aired. For instance, if I'm aired, you know who I am, you know my backstory, you can Google me and find stuff about me and what people are saying or what they're not saying or whatever. It doesn't matter. You can make that choice and judgment right away saying, well, I know who she is. I know what she's about. I don't have an issue. I mean, you just have to know who these people are. I think people are lazy a lot in society. They don't want to do the research and the homework. And they just go and make these, you know, these quick judgments and say, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah, they're cool. They're good. Well, how do you know? I mean, what do you know about them? You know, and and so when you go and you you read up on what, you know, uh, James Randi says and things like that, you know, it raises a flag and say, well, wait a minute. Is this possible? Could this be possible?
4: Well, the thing
1: about Randi, what's sad about that is that the guy's his own worst enemy. And and when I say that, what I'm really saying is that there are a lot of things that he has debunked that, that I agree with him about. I do. Right. At the same time, there are things that he has dismissed that I feel he's completely wrong about. And to me, ultimately, he's got an agenda, and the agenda is not necessarily about a search for real understanding. It's about debunking. And, and look, I'll tell you, on the paracast, we've gained a reputation at this point as being, well, a lot of people won't come on and speak to us, quite frankly, because we, we try to ask, Relevant questions. We Mm -hmm. try to basically draw this line in the sand and say, look, you know, we want to understand this and there's a bunch of noise and we want to chop the noise away. In the case of Randy, Randy's kind of an extreme example. And what he's done in many ways is kind of create a tough situation for people who are trying to be reasonably skeptical. You know, I mean, like this this issue of mediums, I'll, I'll put you on the spot later on because if you think you have someone who's really capable, we'd love to have them on the show. If you think you've got someone who you feel has real ability, but with the understanding that we need to test them some way. And this is, you know, people make these huge claims. And again, and in this realm, is there hard evidence? Well, if I had a medium tell me things about, for example, my family that nobody could know about, then I'm going to take that very seriously. Of course, at the same time, I'm going to wonder if what I'm dealing with is not a medium, but a psychic. Right. And it's pulling the stuff out of my mind. And and that, of course, brings up a whole other host of questions, which maybe we'll have to wait for the second hour to deal with. Right. But the bottom line is, like, how do you differentiate between someone who is actually processing information from outside of you versus someone who's reading your
3: mind and telling you what you want to hear and for a while I, I ended up thinking that's what George Anderson was doing mm, hey before we yeah. go into hour number two of the show Alexandra for those who want to get in touch with you learn more about the things that you do how do they get in touch with you
2: they can go to uh, www.hauntingholzer.com also myspace.com forward slash back hauntingholzer I usually post on there my agenda of where I'm going and speaking and any information. So usually more on MySpace than the actual website. So
3: We're getting into MySpace. I am. I already have oh, started a little bit there. But most of the stuff I've done so far has been Facebook. Because Facebook. my son yeah, swears them. that Facebook is more up-to-date and it is right. more hip or whatever word they use now in, <laughs> in the 21st century. But I don't know about such things. I do know that... Alexandra Holzer will be back for the second hour of the Paracast.
4: Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Yevding.
3: Alexandra Holzer is back. She's daughter of Hans Holzer, the original Ghost Hunter, and we're not talking about Ghostbusters the movie like we talked about in the last hour where you have the guy in the refrigerator who says Zool. Which actually, the guy had a speech impediment. He meant to say zoo. I want to go to the zoo. And because I needed to have some lunch or something, I don't remember what that was about. I'm going to ask you a crazy meta question here. You know, you're focused on spirits of the dead, whatever. But there are obviously a lot of other things going on. And the Paracast focuses a lot of the time on UFOs. Mm -hmm. and. It involves people talking with entities. Sometimes there are things that recovered through memories, abductions, abductees. And some people suggest that the entities that these people are seeing are the same entities that people who claim to talk to dead people are seeing, but they pretend to be something else. They're putting on a show, a little bit of a show for the recipients. What's your feeling about all this?
2: Yeah, I know, I've I've heard about is it possible that some extraterrestrial life are actually spirits and not aliens, so to speak, and are they one and the same? Because there's that theory of, you know, telepathy. And if we can hear the other side mentally and not just verbally, it's the same as a humanoid or an alien or another life form that they can talk to us but not using their mouth. It's the same thing crossing over into what people who are sensitive are able to do, that we get impressions and that we don't always, it's not like somebody blurts out, hey, you, I'm here. You actually hear it. And that's part of why you think people think you're crazy because it's not being verbalized and that's why you record and that's why you go through all that process. But, with the phenomena of of you know other life forms, which I do believe in, um, and I'm fascinated with with what's out there in the universe because it's just so vast and huge that how how could we be the only ones that there is a crossover between the ability to have a conversation using telepathy, whether it's from somebody who was once of the living who was a human being versus someone who is of the living but not a human being and from another uh, life, you know, life form, so to speak. So I think it's kind of the same thing. Um, as far as knowing if, if, you know, a gray showed up and that was an actual spirit versus, you know, an alien, it depends on the person and, and their backstory. You'd have to go and and go through the credibility part and, and really examine what they're saying. And there could be a crossover. Why, why not? It's all... Relative, I mean, they do have to communicate, and they do communicate in in different ways that you would have to be open to hear them anyway. So that's kind of like dealing with the other side when you're a human and you pass.
3: But do you think the same forces are causing the sensitivity
2: Um, to these particular things? I I think anything's possible. That's as honest as I can be. I think anything is possible. and, And to... Say it's one thing and one thing only. I mean, we do have a lot of evidence as far as the field of the other side and what happens, you know, but as far as the topic with UFOs and humanoids and other life forms, we don't have nearly as much evidence, and it's a harder science to get documentation from. You're really going off more of people's testimonials than actual sightings that you have to try to really make credible. It's harder to do that versus when you're dealing with apparitions that you can get on film and that you could prove that it really wasn't a hoax and this is this is a normal camera, nothing was tampered. How do you explain that? That's easier. So in that sense, I think, you know, we have the ability to kind of come to terms with that versus, you know, anybody who's from a different planet. There's not enough evidence, there's not enough information or data to convince society that that's the same crossover and that they could be one and the same or that they're just using the same method, which is kind of what I think.
3: Well, the thing being, of course, I guess we go back to the thing I raised in the first hour, that of deception, where someone says, I'm really your long-lost uncle, and, of course, they're reading your mind or engaging in telepathy so they could see that they're really your uncle and not somebody from another place.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it very well could be, depending on the situation. Again, you, you can't just, you know, generalize the statement. It's an individual case-by-case scenario. And, you know, it can be looked at if you go back to old cases and bring up, is it possible if you have recordings and things that you can reanalyze and bring that possible theory into play, then you can look at it and say maybe. But you would have to go through that process.
1: Well, when we talk about things like photographic evidence, part of the mm-hmm. problem is that there is a prevailing uh, sentiment at this point in time that essentially any photographic or even video evidence can indeed be faked and and we're getting to the point where it's becoming extremely difficult to analyze a photograph and say with any kind of absolute certainty whether or not that that photograph has been hoaxed or not and even if we go back into into history we look at the history of photography one of the fascinating things we find is that there actually is an entire sub portion of that history that deals with people hoaxing spirit and ghost photos. That's been going on for a long time. There are some photos that I've seen that, that are really, really fascinating. And uh, in terms of video footage, uh, we talked about this on the show before, but there is one piece of video that came out of the Black Forest. I think in North Carolina there was this fellow who they've been seeing these light orbs around their home, him and his children, and uh, he set up these surveillance cameras and uh, there is this plasma thing that is in his living room and it's, and I've said this again on the show before we've talked about this, I think it's probably the best single piece of video evidence of paranormal stuff that I've ever seen. It would be almost impossible to fake this thing and the way that this thing moves you look at it and you think, well, what is this exactly? Is this a spirit of something? Is this some kind of physical uh, manifestation, some portion of reality we don't yet understand? And when we talk about things like, you know, gathering evidence, for example, in looking at the ghost phenomenon and spirits and that whole sub-portion, at really, Alexandra, you run into a lot of the same problems that you would have trying to prove things about UFOs or extraterrestrial evidence. And in fact, at that point, what we do have are some cases where you have people in the military who have tracked these things with airplanes. They've shown up on radar, and I just wonder if we have the equivalent of a radar sighting in the world of ghost hunting. You know, has anybody actually been able to say, "Okay, look, here is some sort of." Instrumentation that has captured in a definite, absolute sense something that is an energy manifestation that is not a living human being, it's something else. Do you, do you know of any case that exists where there's that kind of, I don't want to call it hard evidence, but some sort of instrumentation based corroboration?
2: Instrument based corroboration? Yeah. Well, since. This was uh, since the 1700s when it was called physical research. There was always some form of somebody writing something down that they witnessed that turned into when we came into photography, and even there was Harry Houdini that got involved in all sorts mm-hmm. of people. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're always going to have people that are going to do hoaxes, but it doesn't take right. away from the credible stuff, including my father, thank you very much, who was not out there doing it like that and who had his work Taken to labs with professionals and having it dissected to show, because that was his job. His job was to be scientific. His job was not to play hoaxes. He took it very seriously, and that's the same thing with UFOs. It's the same amount of footage that you can have that um, shows and depicts UFOs that are not real, you know. But it's harder because there's there's more information and more of a curiosity in the paranormal for the side of ghosts. I think today more so because of television shows because those type of shows are more popular than the UFO shows and there aren't as many UFO shows It's really it's a hard sell that's the bottom line and as far as you know any main case no I would have to sit down because there would be lots of cases and again it's subjective and it's again is how were they dealt with what was the end result did it go through The process of making sure that everything was legitimate and genuine that you can say, I can't explain it or I'm going to have to sit here and either I'm going to have to believe or not. And that's my choice. So, you know, I, that's, that's, you know, I don't think anybody would come out and they can maybe have their top 10. I personally don't. I don't work that way. I go through what is presented to me and what I'm actually experiencing, what I have experienced. I trust
1: myself. So in your experiences, what would be like, give, give us a couple of examples, I think, of what our listeners would consider to How be I really interesting cases. Yeah. How
2: I grew up, bottom line. I've, I've had things sit on my bed. I've seen apparitions of neighbors that passed away that came in and out of my apartment, you know, looking for something. It's in the book. I mean, I've, I've had experiences growing up. That's why it's called Growing Up Haunted. You know, all people have to do is just read on people's stories. They just have to read about what people have encountered and witnessed and share with the world. They don't have to do that. A lot of these people are normal, average people that are very private, very personal. They are not looking for attention. And you've got, you know, hundreds of books based on people's real life stories that actually is found in the spiritual category because the whole point is to help people like themselves that are going through the same thing and people who can't understand what they've just witnessed without any equipment people actually see things and without being labeled crazy because maybe you haven't experienced something instead of doing that there are people that come out with stories and and thank goodness for that for a long course of time to teach people that these things do happen and that they're just like you and I and they were so troubled by what happened they needed to know what happened because it bothered them so much And it usually does bother the person when they've encountered something they can't explain, whether it's a UFO sighting or a ghost sighting, something that's not normal to our everyday world.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's how I
2: I operate. So I've experienced it. It's in the book. And I would sit here. It would take me hours and hours and hours. I know. I've personally experienced it. I'm not crazy. And I don't treat the environment that I live in like that, and I don't put that onto my children. I'm very, very logical, I'm very grounded, but at the same time, I'm very, you know, intellectual, and I certainly know if my leg is being pulled or not, because I can feel it, and that's my intuition, and I trust that, and that means more to me than anything else in this world, because that's what's guided me through my life, and it's never steered me wrong, and I've been through a lot of things in my life, and a lot of things could have happened. I trust in things that are higher than just the ghosts or the aliens. There are things around me that are protecting me, and you, and everybody else, and I believe in that without instruments. so mm. A little bit more spiritual on that level, but you have to be. you know, that's, that's a good way to live your life instead of being so difficult and hard-nosed. I don't want to be that way.
1: I don't tend to think of myself necessarily as, as difficult. And And actually the reason I'm doing this show is because of the vast range of things that I've experienced and seen. And usually what I do is I don't necessarily, even on the show, talk about the experiences that I've had on my own. I I almost always try to bring in uh, witnesses that were with me. And, and in fact, in in this particular area, uh, one of my oldest friends and I saw a full-body apparition. Um, We interacted with this apparition for, God, almost 15 minutes. And the thing about it that really, I mean, it was incredibly spooky because here was this, what looked like a girl, dressed in a certain type of period clothing, like 70s. And she was at one point maybe 15 feet away from us and it was daytime. She's sitting at this table. We're sitting at a bench trying not to freak out as we're looking at her. And she's, she's got no eyes. She has no mouth. All of it's in shadow. Now, what would I have given for a camera at that moment? I didn't have one. You know, often we don't have any kind of instrumentation at all when these things happen. I totally understand that. But at the same time, And and by the way, we then watched her dematerialize right in front of us. So, yeah, I can tell you that when something like that happens, it's incredibly frightening. I didn't sleep for days after that. But at the same time, when people are going out with the intent and the purpose to actually find these things, then I I think it would not be, I don't know, hard-nosed and difficult to assume that they would have technology with them that they would have some sort of instrumentation that only makes sense to me but i guess uh, what makes sense to me doesn't make sense to most of the world i suppose no
2: that's, that's one thing has nothing to do with the other my point is you're supposed to do both see the whole point of this conversation is to understand what i believe in and what i work with and what makes sense for me it's all subjective you know i can only answer what I can answer that comes from me, Alexandra. I'm not, I'm not bothered by what other people do. You know, I don't sit there and I, and I don't wonder, well, what's he doing and what's she doing? That's not my business. I know what works for me and I know what makes sense for me and the people around me and I know the things that have to make a difference going forward into the future in this field because I have to tell you, with modern advances in technology comes a lot of, pardon my French cockiness, to being overzealous and thinking, you know, you can go into any place and find something because you have equipment or you have a show. My whole persona is you can do all those things, but it's the person that is doing them that can make the difference and not just what they carry with them as equipment or crew or what the environment entails. It's all about who is, is giving respect to their surroundings and making sure that everybody is safe and taken care of and the entity in question needs help. You have to help it. And whatever it takes to do that is what you should do. Whether you agree with equipment or not, a lot of it does help. You have to put aside your feelings for that and do your job and not be so judgmental. And that's where I'm coming from.
3: All right, before we go into that.
5: Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares.
0: You're in The Paracast with G, and David You never
3: know what's going to happen next. We're talking to Alexandra Holzer on The Paracast. I guess we're talking about here you're feeling about a subjective judgment about what's going on and to basically trust in your gut that if you feel something is right it's right if you feel something is wrong is wrong mm-hmm. all right you know i understand the feeling i understand why but i guess the thing that disturbs me is that people are occasionally shall we say fooled anyway into thinking things that are not true or true yep
2: like anything else in life this would be no different Absolutely. Again, I think people lose sight of their ability to trust within themselves. See, I'm a little bit more humane.
3: I know, I understand that, but maybe you know, what so it I is here like, is. I how of, do I feel we, like, sure, but how do we reclaim that kind of thing? Is it maybe, <laughs> maybe there's something here that we've lost as we yes, get we older. Have. Kids, you know, that maybe takes us back to children. Yep. Children seem to have better instincts than adults. You know, a five year old may sense something that a 25 year old. Is totally oblivious
2: to correct right. so why
3: is it the five-year-old gets this kind of insight
2: well the five-year-old is still developing mentally and so they haven't really been clouded with with society and what's around them in judgments. even if they're in a, a terrible environment and the parents are not good parents and they're not doing the right thing for the child to mentally develop at the age of five to, to know right from wrong and they're starting school and there's manners and respect and keep your hands to yourself and, you know, you have to get into routine and this is what you have to do, follow the rules, play nice, be safe. That's the the, the phase that they're at at that age. And um, children are very open and susceptible because they haven't been clouded yet. They're, they're just, you know, in their truest form. They're pure. For okay, well, the purity is way. very
3: interesting to me this concept of purity, because, you know, we have the educational systems Mm -hmm. that are supposed to prepare us for living in the real world, and some almost consider it a kind of brainwashing where we are taught to repeat things by rote, what's being taught in the classrooms about history and science and all this other stuff, but we're not really taught how to get in touch with our spiritual selves. Correct. All right. So if Alexandra is working with the school system, and of course you've got four kids who right. are now in the grade school system, and they're undergoing this. So what do you do with your kids to teach them this other thing that they're not learning or to even encourage the school systems to teach right. these things because that's not on their agenda?
2: It's not. It's just like, you know, we go to school and then you're supposed to go to college, but they don't really teach you about real life and why you need a job and why it's important to do what you're supposed to do, that it's not, a, it's not a joke. Well, the first thing is, of course, dealing with any school system is, is very political. You have to talk to the headmaster. You have to individually know your, your children's teachers and how they are with your children. So you always fill out these forms at the beginning when you register your child, and then they continue next year. What personality traits should I know about your child? You, you give them all this information, and and say if the child's very sensitive and not in the term mediumship which is you know sensitive emotionally um, and very intelligent teachers will read it but then because the classrooms are so much bigger today that they don't give that individual attention and may skip over a child that's more in need but because they're just ahead of their time and their years there is no spirituality or sensitivity to that and it's just the way it's very political it's, it's just in and out that's how they work so you start with the teachers and make sure that you educate the teacher about your child and understanding how you are in the family and who you come from. Like, I come from my father, so I have a very good basis to explain why I believe in being open and honest. And there's some things that are appropriate and other things that are not. And that you, you know your child very well and you do it at your discretion and age level. In the schools, it's, it's just very different than at home. And it's important to work hard to keep the consistency from home to your classroom with the teacher and it's your job as a parent to educate your teacher on your child and not just assume they're gonna know and it'll be fine you will always have that responsibility whether you have one or ten children the school systems are set up a certain way it's very political now at home in my situation they know who their grandfather is they see the books and the two older ones I only have two in school the third will be starting this fall in kindergarten and there's the fourth the oldest is only nine but she's very, very intelligent, and I gauge her, I know her. And she knows what my father does, and I explain to her, and she says, well, I believe in angels, why not? She's like, I think it's great, you know. So I can gauge and say, okay, well, we can have this kind of a conversation. And we talk about being good to people, being kind. You know, go through your closet, take out the clothes you're not wearing, you don't need it. If you're not using it, you don't need it. Somebody else does. It's a child your age that needs it. Um, And we do this periodically every three months. And, And part of spirituality is knowing the value of life and what they can do to pass on goodwill to others and other children and help people from around the world. And that's part of what we teach, and it's part of coming from understanding what happens when we are no longer living where do we go is there a place that we go and we start with that
3: when you go into the school systems or other situations we expect the schools to be our babysitters too because exactly. you know a lot of situations here and it's understandable because it's hard to make a living these days we're all struggling david right. and i are struggling we're not making oh, on the no, show. Parents everybody's, the struggling. everybody's struggling so you know a lot of families the mother and the father have to go out to work Why? Because there's no food on the table. They don't pay the rent. They don't pay the cars. They don't pay the $70 a week for gasoline. So it's very, very difficult to survive nowadays. And so you don't have as much time to spend with your kids. So, of course, you send your kid to school. You enroll them in after-school activities. So they do the athletic shtick and all that stuff. And then you don't have the time to make them spiritually aware. Do you take them to church, to synagogue, to the mosque? Where do you do this?
2: Right. Well, if I walk into a church, the walls are going to burn down, so forget about that.
3: Um, uh, tell me more.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I, I have my beliefs and faith, but, you know, I don't feel like it's going to be found in four walls and a ceiling with a pointy little steeple. You know, I don't believe that's where it's found. And listen, don't get me wrong, we dig the church thing, and, and the, the girls or in awe of the singing. That was the best part. To stand up and sing, I sat there like oy ve, and I'm not even Jewish. I'm half Jewish. I was like, geez, Louise. And you know, I just didn't feel like this was it. Like this is where I was going to find my revelation of understanding what was happening to me. You know, we did try it, and of course, you know, the kids are aware of it and what it means. But you know, um, it's almost like we just just be good people. Be good to each other. Don't hurt anybody. Be safe, be smart, and anything that comes up, know that you can talk to us. Even if you think you're going to get in trouble, you will get in trouble if you don't tell us, let's put it that way. So that's our method, you know. A lot of parents cannot have time to to devote to their children because they work and have that scenario. That's more than less. But at night, somebody has to put them to bed. And if there's one consistent parent that can have a conversation with that child before they go to sleep and just have a good talk, a feel-good talk that's at least something you have to be in control of your child's life regardless of what your schedule is you you can still talk to your child can you not you can still fit in one hour as long as you're communicating with that child and they know that you care enough to ask how their day was and what's going on is there anything that they need to tell you otherwise they're not gonna come up and tell you children don't always volunteer information it's your job to still pull it out of them it's your job too, regardless of how busy you are to give them that attention
3: Mm, I guess we ought to have schools to train parents because it doesn't come with oh, a user yeah, guide. Because you know, it depends, of course, yes, maybe you have your parents to guide you. But maybe your parents didn't do the greatest job either, or maybe your parents are no longer around. You know, right. so for example, my son really didn't have grandparents to grow up with. Mm-hmm. He didn't have grandmothers. He had two grandfathers, one was ill, one died when he was very young. So we kinda had to learn <laughs> on the fly and pick up the hints before we were ready for him. But now, getting into this now, children being more sensitive will have, sometimes, weird things happen to them. They'll see things. You know, you go back to the movie The Sixth Sense where this kid says, I see dead people. Right. Well, all right. In the real world as opposed to the R-E-E world Mm -hmm. of motion pictures where there's a lot of fantasy going on.
2: Correct. In the real
3: world, then... How often does this happen that eight or nine-year-old sees dead people?
2: I think that's scary because, you know, you don't want, you know, a child to encourage that conversation or behavior because because they're children, they're not protected in the sense of they're not going to know how to handle it. And oftentimes children are afraid and they're not going to be forthcoming with this kind of information. And that's part of why you need to be in your child's face as much as you can because, even when you are, it doesn't, you know, guarantee that they're gonna come out and say, I just saw Aunt Mary last night at my, at the foot of my bed. She said to say hi. If you're a teenager, that might be a cool thing, especially today. I think with the media changing and accepting the paranormal more, I don't, I think that's a blessing in disguise because it might be cool now to say, hey, I saw a ghost. But when you're dealing with, you know, the single digit numbers of ages of children, I think it's, it's more of a scarier situation because you really don't, even if it's a nice aunt coming to visit, and you understand where it's coming from, and they don't meet to scare the children, and oftentimes they don't appear scary. But there are times you have cases that I've read, I haven't had personal with, but I've read that, you know, children have seen horrible things. That makes me want to go into that place and save that child. Find out all the information, go in and make it stop, because that, that just, I will not accept that from any terrible entity. I will kick his, his butt, I'm telling you. I just I How can't do you accept kick that. an
3: entity's butt. That okay. Um
2: well I How my foot would go through him, you know, or her or it. But I will try really hard and protect and shield that child because I am a mother and I'm an Aryan mother, which is the fiercest mother on this planet, I may add. I just it pulls at my heartstrings to hear stories like that in cases if they're legitimate. You know, I mean that that's horrible. And it's like somebody, a stranger hurting your child. It, it's no different to me. And I, I cannot allow it. So, of course, as I get more involved in the field, if I come across things like that, I, I will be pulled into it emotionally as a parent and and as a protector of children. But yeah, it's it's tough. You know, when they're when they're really really young, you you then have to kind of deal with it. You can't just ignore it and then assume your child needs Ritalin or something because they're psychotic.
3: All right. Yeah. Well, that gets into another story too, and I want to right. talk about methodology in a moment. Yeah.
4: Hi, this is Roger with eFoodsDirect.com, and I just wanted to welcome everyone from the Paracast Show. Hi to Gene and David and everybody out there. Listen, we're here to sponsor this radio show because we really like what Gene and what Dave are doing, and we'd like you to help us support them. Now, we are a long-term storable food company. However, the foods that we produce are low-moisture foods. They're very, very high quality, and you can live on them every day. You can literally cut your grocery bill in half or more than half, maybe as much as 60%, by buying bulk foods from eFoodsDirect.com. But right now, a recession slash depression is on the way. We're advising people to sell the toys in the garage, hawk off the old jewelry you don't use, pour the money into food supplies before it's too late. I'm telling you, it could be too late. We also can provide water filtration, other needs. Call efoodsdirect.com and let us continue to support Gene and David here. 800-715-4380, 800-715-4380, or go to efoodsdirect.com. That's efoodsdirect.com, 1-800-715-4380. <laughs> The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next.
3: David and I are here with Alexandra Holzer on the Paracast, and we're talking about ghost hunting and spiritual related events. Let's talk about the methodology here of dealing with spiritual entities. If they're hostile, they're doing bad things. Do I call the Ghostbuster? Who do you call? What do you do? Obviously, You're a tough mother, and you're the one who was able to do it. So what do the rest of us do? You grew up in this kind of surroundings, so maybe you understand things better. What do we do?
2: Well, that's why I said it's a blessing that we are more mainstream than we were, let's say, you know, five, six years ago. You know, with the Internet, too, we can go and we can find any groups in our area, and we can make those phone calls as if they're ghost doctors. That's the best way to describe it. You can't go to your pediatrician and say, listen because the pediatrician is, is not going to be versed in it, unless they're a fan of the paranormal and they've read Dr. Holzer's book, okay, fine. But, you, you know, you really are taking a chance with that. And if you take it to a doctor, they're going to start thinking testing of, of, you know, MRIs and so forth, and that's that's the medical part. This is not medical. Now, don't get me wrong, there are children that that do have symptoms that exude something like that that then they need medical care. But you have to know your child and you have to be up on their appointments for health care and things of that nature and make sure that there's no family history of any disease to that effect or depression or so forth. You know, but having said that, you know, the first thing is with the internet, people actually know to go and look for local groups in their area that do investigations and maybe they also have a connection to mediums and see what route they want to go. That's the first thing that they do is they, they type out emails and they send out to people in their area. And, you know, a lot of people blog Nowadays, a lot of families talk about stories of ghosts and things of that nature and if their child experiences something. You've got callers calling into radio shows talking about the same kind of stuff. I mean, it's really, they are coming out and and talking about this. So it's just a matter of, of them connecting to a group to help them, and then they take it from there. You know, I'm just one person. I definitely consult with many people in the field because we all have different, backgrounds and experiences, and not everybody has a backstory of where they grew up haunted in that sense, um, but they've had experience that turned them to believe or want to seek out, well, why did that happen to them? What does it mean? Uh, we all have to work together, honestly, and if you hear of a case that's nowhere near you, but you can help in some form, whether it's picking up the phone and talking to that person, do it. That's what I do. It's more of a family you know, effort. A paranormal community is really what we need to grow instead of devising groups and and splitting everything up, and if you have a TV show, okay, well, then you're the only one that can help. You know, you have to know who's in your community, and you have to be able to reach out to people and tell your story, and a lot of people do. A lot more so in the past couple of years than, I would say, five or six years ago.
3: Well, of course, what happens with the media, though, is they're doing it for ratings, they're doing it for circulation, or on the web someplace, they're doing it just to get the hit count and the online advertising. So it's commercial, you know, that... You know, ghost hunting, we don't take that seriously. That's just entertainment on the sci-fi channel or the Discovery Channel or one of these other stations or the History Channel. And they sell commercials and make a lot of money. And when you go to a news show, like the 24-hour news shows where they have to fill 24 hours of news, and yes, there are repeats, but... Even in these situations, they come into the area where they're running out of good material. We got a good ghost story. Let's go. Well, so they'll shoot a few frames of film. They'll go and photograph the haunted house. Ha ha ho ho ho! You got a ghost in your house. Ha ha ho ho ho! That's the ghost story. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, another problem is we don't take it seriously. The same is true with UFOs. You know, I think if you did surveys, Gallup polls, whatever, you find that lots of people have had UFO experiences, lots of people have had ghost-related experiences after life-type encounters of one sort or another, but the mainstream media doesn't look at that as real. They look at that as entertainment.
2: How do you you change their minds? It's true, uh, it's definitely true that they do, because that's the way the media's been set up since we were able to, you know, when the TV was invented and So forth, and, and, you know, even if you, if there was, when there was just radio, if you ever hear the broadcatches, they were quite entertaining, you know. I mean, you have to have some entertaining element because people aren't just gonna go and watch, you know. Even the news, which is supposed to report the news, has these segments of actors on there, and you're like, well, why is that on there? Oh, so-and-so's getting divorced. Big, big news. This one's having a baby. And, you know, I mean, they mix it up nowadays more so than in the past. And it's it's quite disturbing that you have to go and go through a filter of, of uh, trying to find out, well, what is it that you want to pay attention to and learn about? Same thing on the Internet. You have to find reputable sources of information that are not you know taking it to another level but that are just really you know just the facts ma'am so it is a lot more complicated today I personally I like to entertain people because it makes people they're happy they laugh that's my job too I educate people through humor and that's that's something I I am very proud of and I don't feel ashamed of and I like to film and I like the camera and I like the effect it has on people who maybe before 10 minutes ago didn't know who I was and now they do so, you know, it, it gets the word out and it gets the vision out and the work that's being done, which is, for me, keeping in respect to the field and trying to, to keep it focused and getting information to help people understand that, you know what, this is just really normal, including other life forms. I mean, to think that we're the only ones here, I think, is really uh, just uh, obnoxious and very egotistical. I mean, just it just, to me, is amazing. I'm baffled. We're so tiny. But that's mm. me. That's well, now, opinion. of
3: course, astronomers are finding more and more so-called Earth-like or almost Earth-like planets out there. Mm-hmm. And that would be an interesting question, too. If we have life forms from other planets, do they have their own ghost hunters?
2: <laughs> <mysteries> like <laughs> They these. have human hunters. HH show say <laughs> it's on Channel 100 Billion, you know, watch the Human Hunter show. And all the humanoids are sitting there going, "Ha! Ah, look at that one, look at that human. Yeah. it's Who knows? Why not? Maybe they celebrate the holidays. You don't know.
1: Alexandra, in the first hour, you brought up an associate of yours who you say was having um, the story you told about the producer who came and heard the audio recordings of... Um the person you're associated with having a conversation with. I'm curious, what kind of information was imparted in that conversation? What, what kind of knowledge passed hands? I'm wondering.
2: Uh, well, that was my team member, Carly, and mm-hmm. um, she has uh, basically throughout her whole life experienced being haunted herself and she grew up in london and she's had stronger things happen to her than myself she's actually seen full-bodied apparitions you know but not just once or twice which is normally the case for for the average person she constantly had people around her trying to get her attention that were on the other side that needed to talk and say things and get messages out having said that she always had the ability to hear them And it wasn't until the past, I'd say, two and a half years she started to record herself because she had complaints when she had a roommate that she would talk out loud and be on the phone, and it kept the roommate up, and could she she please stop it? And she says, I'm not on the phone, I'm sleeping. And she couldn't understand mm. why people were complaining that she was talking at all hours of the night. She began to record herself to find out what she was saying and what she was doing. Because some people sleepwalk and it's very scary and there's people are treated for that. Sure. Well, what she found was even more disturbing than sleepwalking. And uh, she found that the other side was talking to her and there was more than one. And they were going on and on about the room that she was in. They described things that she just, she was in shock. And, and so... She was having conversations with people she had no clue who they were, and you could hear their voices, and they were very clear. So she started to do the research, and she came upon uh, Leslie Flint, who also was doing similar research. And so she's got all these recordings now, as you can understand, and she's very scientific, and she's talked to a lot of college professors, and she just didn't know which route to take her work. And, of course, she and I met. And she knew that with me um, it would be done correctly and with respect and and in the field that's still fairly new with audio versus just EVPs. Audio is definitely a different way of processing the information with the one person as the tool, which is transmedium, which is what Carly has become. And so when the producer was given uh, audio samples, he was really just, he's never heard anything like it before. And there's a reason for it because like with UFOs, there's not enough, out there or it's not being researched to the point of where it's serious enough because everything on that side is EVP, EVP. So she does, you know, for short term, the DVPs and uh, wanted to make it very clear and specific. And when he heard the samples, he was just, wow. So that's what that was, you know, educating him.
1: mm -hmm. What were the voices saying?
2: They were just talking. I mean, one clip, there was an older woman in the room. Carly was awake. She was in bed at night. And the older woman said, you know, could you turn on the TV? And Carly said, "No, I don't want to get up." So she wasn't asleep. She was in her room. She lives alone, by the way. Her roommate was about—I think it was two years ago. She lives in a studio, and she said, "You know," she responded back, and because she's so used to this, it doesn't scare her. For her, it's not unusual. It's what she's lived with. But now she's doing the research, and so she's understanding more of what's happening. So she said, no, I don't want to get up. I'm tired. And that was the end of that conversation. Those are little clips that she had. Other clips she uh, would record while she was sleeping, there'd be three or four having their own conversation in her room, just going off a mile a minute talking about things that have nothing to do with the other person's conversation, you know. Mm. And, and then they would zoom back in on her saying, you know, oh, she's still sleeping. We have to wait till she wakes up. Well, do you think she'll help? And they'll say, wow, you know, what is it today? I mean, it, it's just an enormous amount of rambling. Men and women, some have accents. That's, that's what she, she goes through.
1: But if she's communicating with them, certainly she'd be asking questions, right?
2: She does. It's on the audio. She does ask S- questions. That's why she right. records herself. Whether yeah. she's awake or asleep. She'll either respond to them if she's awake, if there's a reason to, because it's really an annoyance to her. It's not even, it's past fascinating because she understands what she's dealing with. She's very, very intelligent. She is uh, not, you know, panicking. There's no reason to. She understands what's what's happening. And there's when she's sleeping, uh, when she's in that state, you know, she does answer them. And when she, she listens the next morning, she, she hears what she says to them and what the responses are. She works from there to see if, if somebody needs help, and she goes from there. And it depends on what the conversations are. But they so follow she, her. They're around her.
1: See, I, I'm just curious. I think if anybody who's listening to the show would have the ability of, of having conversations with the other side. I mean... It's kind of like the the scene in a, The Day the Earth Stood Still, where the um, the Einstein character asks Klaatu, you know, well, there are about a million questions
3: I have to ask you, because given an opportunity like that... That was the actor who played the old actor, Sam, Sam Jaffe. Jaffe, that's right, and, and he, was just, he did a wonderful role. He was great.
1: So I'm wondering, if somebody has an open line of conversation... With this other dimension, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think of myself; I'd have about a million questions.
2: Of course you would. That's yeah. the typical answer. Yeah. And that's the that's the typical question to want to know. It doesn't work that way. She can't pick and choose what they tell her. It's not like she's playing God and saying, "Okay, what's it like over there?" You know, they they are around her for a reason, and they want to be heard. Some of them need help, and she's helped many of them. Others right. come in. She's like an open porthole around her. She is an open Ouija board. That is what she has become, and she has to protect herself. And there are many that want to come through that say there may be somebody, like you pointed out. She doesn't know who they are. She can't verify it. She doesn't let them in she won't even acknowledge it you're in control they're not in control you're in control they come to you hoping that you're going to hear them and there are a lot of people like her out there that can do this she has just taken it to a different level where she's done research she's following leslie flint and she's she's trying to understand as she's going through this experience and educating people she's also being educated so we don't know what's going to happen a year from now how far this will go you know, but it, it's not, a, we don't have the ability, you know, they can't just come out that the lottery is. It's, it's never going to be that way.
0: Right.
1: But, but if if we have control, again, I mean, I, I think I'm asking... Some, the
2: environment uh, that we're in. If we choose right. to hear somebody and it, we feel that we're not safe and we're going to be in danger of somebody trying to come in and cause harm rather than wanting to be heard because they're lonely and stuck, there's a difference. That's where you're in control. But you're not in control of the conversation. You can ask a question what you get is what you get
3: fate magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue That's sixty years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown keep up with the latest on angels and miracles psychic phenomena ghosts ufos life after death and much much more it's bigger and better than ever Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Hey, this is Jeff Ritzman, you're listening to David Biedny and Gene Steinberg on The Paracast. And just between you and me, I think these guys are a cult, so keep your eye on them. We're talking to Alexandra Holzer, and we're exploring spirituality, ghosts, et cetera, et cetera, life after death. And that's an interesting point here. Is the ghost the someone on the other side whose life, for some reason, ended prematurely? They have difficulties going to wherever they're going to go, and they're stuck in this place. And that's, I guess, a common perception. And that is they have to be helped or guided to get somewhere else or do we all become ghosts? Is this a natural part of our life and death cycle that after we die we are now ghosts and at some point in time we're ready for the next stage?
2: Right. Well, the term spirit and ghost mean the same thing. Your spirit is, when your soul is when it, when it departs from your body and it detaches, depending on how you die you either become a spirit, exit left, or how you die you become a ghost, exit right but your spirit and your ghost are the same It's your soul. Everybody will end up one or the other. It all depends on how you die, which is how the outcome is. So if you die horribly, chances are you could become a ghost. If you die peacefully, chances are you'll be a spirit and be free and cross over and be pulled to the realm of where you will meet up with those that are going to take you to the next level of your life.
3: Okay, so what is the next level? What do you think the next level is? (laughs)
2: I, I believe, and from what I've read and from what I've learned, I do believe that uh, you become an educator and a teacher of love, and I believe that you you know, become an angel and a guide to not to help the people you've left on Earth, but to help people who need you, lost souls on Earth, to help them not jump off that bridge and commit suicide, to go and help people that need that extra kick because they're having a horrible moment. You know, guides are always there to help you. They're not going to come when you're having a great day. You're not. They're not needed. You don't need them. But when you're having a moment, a crisis, that's when they come in. Okay, but how do
3: you bring them in? Say, for example, a lot of people nowadays are suffering. They're suffering financially. They're Mm -hmm. suffering because companies are cutting back and they don't have the jobs they depended on. We have the auto industry. We have manufacturing in the United States. I don't want to get into politics, but (laughs) it becomes part of that. Okay, so I'm suffering. My family is suffering. We're screaming Mm -hmm. and yelling at each other. We've got to get things to settle down. How do I call my guide and say, come on down here, help me out because I've got a problem that you I do what can't you just deal said.
2: with? You ask for help and you do it in a non judgmental way. You do it quietly and peacefully and that you know that you're open enough to believe. Because if you're just going to do it to be cocky and say, yeah, I need help, you know, that's just not how it works. That's why you have to be open and be a little bit more understanding that you have to be grateful that they're there. And that they're always there. And just because you're not awakening to that, you know, doesn't mean they're always not around you to, to help you when you're having those moments. You ask for help. You ask the universe. You, you have nothing to lose. You have everything to gain. Because, frankly, if you're hitting rock bottom, you kind of need to do it. Is this like you prayer? Or I mean, not. do you
3: sit there and pray on your knees and whatever say, works God for help you. me? There's,
2: there's no formula. It's whatever works for you. Because everybody believes in their own religion, if they have it, or their own God. Everybody, it's again. That's why it's subjective. It's what works for you. Nobody can tell you how to pray. Nobody can tell you how to talk to to something that you can't see. That you feel maybe you're you're acting, you know, kind of weird, and you're standing there in the bathroom with the door closed. Okay, okay. Angels really quick because the kids are going to come running in here in about ten minutes.
3: But how do I know Help? those are angels and not somebody here to play a game? I think it gets to a meta question too, which is. What if all we're seeing, and I'll raise this, although I'm sure you won't agree with me, is part of our universal consciousness. We're all part of this universal consciousness. And when we call up these things, we're just talking to ourselves in a way. Part of ourselves is being reflected back in these beings.
2: Wow. Well. You know, it's it's possible. You know, I you know, for me, I believe, and so I I think that's a very uh, strong thing to have, and I I definitely believe. Okay, but, you know, but the scientific I I,
3: community is going to say, you know, Alexandra, this is nonsense. We have to have proof of this. It's got to be reproduced. If it's real, it doesn't mean we can necessarily measure it with our instruments. We can't measure these things with our cameras well, that's be or that our, our EMF that's meters. Never what do you right do? To
2: budge? You can't, nothing. It's like it's with anything in life. If you're going to sit there and burst a blood vessel in your neck because you can't convince them, then that's move on. I mean, listen, you're going to do what you're going to do and people are either going to believe... They're not going to believe, or they're going to be somewhere sitting on the fence about those things until they feel they want to choose a side. Or sometimes they won't ever choose a side. Well,
3: there are a lot of sides out there. You know, there's yeah. your side, there's another side, there's Catholic, Jews, Muslims, agnostics. Religion, yeah. I we mean, have there's lots of sides. Of but sense. the question then becomes, okay, we have so many sides. How do we pick the right one? We feel this it's, one works for different. us, but then is that the way and the truth, or it's, is that just no a one answer?
2: There's no we. It's an individual... Situation and individual bias. If one person asks that question, they're gonna know where they're coming from as to what they feel they can trust and what they feel they can't trust. And if they don't know, they have the right to go and do the research on people out there that are trying to help people understand. And that's as best as they can do it. That's, that's just something that you can take with it. You can either take it or leave it. You can go and watch your favorite actor in a film and he could do ten different films and there's only one film that you are appalled at. Meanwhile somebody next to you says all the films were incredible. You know, it's all subjective to what people think. One person likes this, the other person okay, doesn't. Okay, but then the how same. do
3: you have an objective reality if you have a million, a billion, a trillion realities out there? Which is the one that we can depend on? If there's so many different realities then it's, we're just again, making it it's up. Not a,
2: it's not a we situation it's an individual situation people depend on what they're comfortable with they everybody has a comfort zone let's start there with that comfort zone and they're educated and they go through life day to day If there are things in their life that they want to change that they're not happy with, it is their choice to change their life path. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. But you ultimately, you're in control when you get up that morning and decide, I choose not to be depressed today, and I choose to be positive regardless of my situation because it has to change. I have to make a change, and I have to stick it out, and I know it's going to take time.
3: So don't take okay. the antidepressants, don't take the Prozac, just No, get I'm not a saying that because if a person attitude. has a
2: clinical problem, there's a history, okay. they're diseased, maybe they actually do need it, maybe there's a chemical imbalance. You have to make sure that you safety net all possibilities before just throwing everything away. There are people that probably don't need that stuff and there are people that do. It's an individual situation. How you're constructed as a human being and what's inside your body and what your medical history is, you know, bodes well for what your choices are in life. And if you're a manic depressive because your mother was and your father was, well, chances are you're going to have a problem, you know. But it's also your environment and how you choose to get up every day and how you live your life. It is your choice, ultimately, in the end, as it is your choice whether or not you want to be educated on the topics that are out there in the field of the paranormal, which range vastly in all areas, and you would do well to educate yourself, then make judgments and be harsh, and then say, well, right. you know, you know, not but, you know what
3: I'm having a problem with here. I'm having a little problem kind of reconciling this, that we look at this afterlife as an objective truth because people, when they pass on, go through certain stages, whatever. But you're then saying it's what we feel, what we believe, what we assume is right, but then there comes out to be a hundred million different possibilities. Or a trillion different, different possibilities. Different. So where is our objective truth here? It's not just whatever you believe is okay. It can't be because there are too many variations of whatever you believe is okay, whatever you feel is okay. As you long PM as you're not hurting anybody to else. everybody's
2: shoes and and know what they're going through and how they feel. That's why it is communication, and that's why see, that's why people. Like yourself and other people, you know, who are trying to get certain points and facts put down and having people say certain things or what they're trying to get at. My whole thing is, you know, sometimes it's not as complicated as we make it out to be. Maybe if we would stop talking and start listening and try to understand that, you know, when we get up every day, how we live our life affects those around us and affects what happens. And things that are out of our control are out of our control. But the things that we can control and we can make a better difference in, we have to make that attempt. And I see nothing wrong with that. It's all positive because there's too much negative in this world and there's too much bickering. And that's why my whole thing is about the paranormal politics. And I I don't want a part of it. And I'm not going to go there with that. It's not for me.
3: It's like the power of positive thinking, it sounds like.
2: Yeah, it, it is, absolutely. Because it's all part of the whole process of you being a living human being with a soul that ends up going somewhere when that body dies. You cannot live forever. Same thing with with a humanoid. I mean, unless they have the secret of life, maybe this is what they're holding on to. I I would like to have that. That would be awesome. You know, I mean, yeah, we're
3: talking about the Zeta Reticulans there or whatever they are.
2: Well, why? I mean, why not? Though. I mean, it's it's you know, to me, I'm very very open. That's just for me. I feel that some things are really hokey and and stupid, and obviously, you know, they're not real. But there are many things out there that I don't know, and I'm not going to sit here and judge it or or even put a comment on it because I still have to go through my own experiences if I ever get to all those things, which of course I won't. You know, I'm just very, very honest. You know, I I just move forward one day at a time.
3: What about your children? Have they had experiences seeing ghosts?
2: No, no. The oldest only um, one time she said that she had seen my late aunt, which is the one that I talk about in the book, who came and started talking to me out of the blue after two years after her passing. And that's when I thought I was losing my mind because I really didn't want a part of it. I moved away from that when I grew up, so, uh, she, she said that she had seen her, and that was it. And she's very private and shy and quiet, so, you know, she's, she's that child that you have to make sure you pull things out of. But that's it so far. The others are under nine, so.
3: Well, does that you know? mean anything? People under nine do see things.
2: Oh, of course they do, just not my three that are under nine. Nothing okay. yet. Nothing has happened, so.
3: What about your husband?
2: Oh, gosh. Well, you know, he, he was a lot harder than when, when these things started happening to me, and of course his mother's, relative came back and said things i didn't know because i didn't know much about this relative he sat there with his mother she was crying and he said oh my god i said i told you and so he's, he's opened up a lot. You know, he gets frustrated because he wishes sometimes that they would come in and change things, but I explain to him it's not the way of the world, it's not how it works, it's not when we want it, it's when it's the right time. He's definitely more open than, than when I first met him 12 years ago. I'll tell you this what, we're just stream, about
3: out of time with this session, but can yeah. you tell people where to get a hold of you?
2: They can go to com. There's an email under bio if they want to contact me and have questions or share stories.
3: Okay. Thanks for joining us on the PowerCast.
2: Thank you. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg, David Jedney, and I completely enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with an opportunity to stretch out and talk.
3: Okay, whatever you believe is true, but there's an objective. I can't understand this, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to have a balance in life. And in evaluating the nature
1: of reality, I think it's useful, I've learned it's useful at least, to have a, a, a decent, healthy balance, or, or at least to strive for one, between intuition and logic. I think that if we look at the history of human development, if we look at the history of society, of civilizations, there is always a component that is intuitive, that is important, but intuition does not build buildings. Intuition did not get us to the moon. It was science that did these things. There was intuition involved integrated with logic. Or
3: we call our spirit guides and say, we want to go to the moon in 10 years, help us out.
1: They, they didn't do it. Although it I think there's a spirit
3: guide on the phone that says, no way, Jose, it's going to cost well, you $100 billion.
1: Well, there are just certain hard realities. And on the Paracast, certainly we, we walk that fine line between trying to figure out where the value is in the side that is intuitive and the side that's logical. I find it very difficult to have conversations where people take an extreme position on either end and then tell you that you're taking the other extreme. I, I don't know what's wrong about asking about the use of instrumentation. I really feel like Alexandra started attacking me on that. I felt that you were
3: seething internally and that no, you were I, to- No, I
1: was curious. I was sure. genuinely curious. I, again, I'm a guy who has seen a full-body apparition. I mean, we understand that, and, but you want to be able to have the
3: damn thing. You want to have the cameras. Could this be oh. photographed? If it yeah. wasn't photographed, sure. what was I seeing? Sure, and we didn't have a camera, and that was that. So then to try to understand
1: things, one has to use one's intuition, and one's logic. And, and this reminds me of the Zaphis interview, where literally every third line out of his mouth was, you have to have an open mind. It's like, but yeah, that's true, but you also have to think. And this worries me about our society, because it seems like, certainly we've seen this in the UFO world, right? People want to
3: have an open mind and, and, and take everything has value. Or they take or the, the super positive approach, which is our space brothers will come to save us. We yeah. have to have faith. But the space brothers are no better or worse than any deity that we might worship. And I'm not putting yeah. down organized religion in that sense, well, but, but what's the difference? I, I get frustrated because
1: like I've said many times in the show, like I've told you, I mean the reason that, that I want to do this show with you is to try to get some understanding. I have to tell you, if I had an open conduit to the continuum I think Alexandra used the term that their associate doesn't want to be a god, therefore she doesn't ask questions. Look, there are people who are going to listen to this now going, why didn't you ask her this while you were t- while you had her on the phone? It's like, well, I-, I think I was asking. Did your friend ask any questions? Did they gain any knowledge? Th- the question was never answered. Apparently, in the afterlife, people are into only mundane things and and don't really want to share information. I mean, I don't
3: understand this. I think the impression I was getting is you have to kind of be a receptacle to receive. All these good things. Open yourself up. Well, I that's don't know. Fine. I no, we understand no, but that, okay. but where's I- our critical thought? Where do we say, "Wait a minute, this isn't the right thing that's coming my way"?
1: No, it's not even that. Forget all that. Y- you've got a spirit entity on the other side. Wouldn't you have a question? Any question? Where are you? What's it like? Is that being godlike asking that question? You know, at that point, Shane, I didn't know what to say anymore. I mean. So I can't ask questions. See, this is what worries me about this stuff and the whole realm of the paranormal. The minute you start asking questions, people will give you hell for asking questions. It's like, huh? See, because to me, that is what happens with organized religion. And this is where a lot of the stuff to me starts to smack of organized religion. It's like, here is what it is. And you will accept this and you will have an open mind and you will accept this. And don't you dare ask a question who are you to
3: ask a question? A God or something? Well, you know what? It almost takes us back to I mean, Dr. Stephen Greer. No, it's don't bring him up. Crazy. Take another
1: example. Take another example. Anybody. Take another
3: example. Anybody. Right. Any you know, of these I, people, if you question them, they get really uppity. Well, you're one of the skeptical people there. You're a negative right, skeptical, this,
1: skeptical thought is somehow negative. That's right. It's wrong I, I have thing. to tell you, Gene, I'm very close to wanting to pull out of all of this. Because as someone who has a working brain, I can't reconcile this idea of just be open and accept everything. No. No. That
3: is a very bad plan for survival. I I think, think, however, uh, there are lots of people out there who share our skeptical thought. and I see that every day in our message. No. I think there
1: are five of them, man. I think there are maybe a hundred. And this is the problem. This is the problem with why we're screwed politically, because people want to simply accept whatever the government tells them, and they don't want to question their government. How can you question the government? They're, they're working for us. I think this, this lack of critical thinking, this is not even skeptical thinking anymore. This is critical thinking. I mean, this lady seems like a very nice lady, but what's with the defensiveness when I ask a question that I think is relevant? Your friend has an open line to the afterlife. Did she ask anything? No, you don't ask anything. It's like, what? To me, that is. I, I don't even know what to think at that point. This is where I think that we're just wasting our time here, Gene. Honestly, truly, we're just wasting our time. So there may
3: or may not be another episode of The Paracast. The Paracast with Gene
1: Steinberg and David Biedny is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated.
0: Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.